You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Uh, just want to welcome those joining us online this morning. Are thankful that you are able to join us in that way. And uh, perhaps you're not feeling well this morning. Um, and uh, hopefully you start feeling better soon. Uh, if you're just uh, checking us out online, hopefully we get to meet you someday soon. And if you're uh, from out of town, I uh, just re- always want to just encourage you to find a good uh, local church as well. So uh, we... Um, are studying the book of Genesis and after week, after week, after week of um, realizing, hey, we're not very good people. Um, uh, do, do we even understand that? I, I was talking with someone this morning. It's just, we, we, we were always kind of shocked that uh, when evil people do evil things, uh, but um, that's who we are. Uh, that's the, the first uh, two chapters were great. God made an earth and it was, it was really, really good. And, and there was uh, perfect relationships and, and abundance of provision. But then we've seen sin come into the world. And what we've seen uh, in our study from chapters 3 through 11 is that uh, in humanity, there's this tendency, this, this bent to continually go towards evil. Uh, we read uh, that from his earliest days, the intentions of man's heart is evil. And that's what we've seen over and over again. And, and relationally, we've seen that people turn to violence, that, that there's a twisting of God's plan for marriage. Spiritually, we've seen full-on rebellion, a continual effort to become gods ourselves, to live lives fully dependent from God with the power uh, to do all that our wicked hearts would desire to do. That's, that's what we want. We want to be independent from God. We want to live lives on our own, do what we want, say what we want. And that's in the heart of every uh, human. And that has been the case uh, since the beginning, since sin came into this world. And still today we see the effects of that. However... Our God is merciful and gracious. We've been learning a lot about our God as we've been going through these first 11 chapters. Uh, First, uh, we've seen in the first two chapters that he's a mighty creator, uh, a powerful judge over this earth uh, with the ability to destroy all who walk in rebellion against him. We've seen that. He's not only uh, just, uh, but he is also merciful. And so uh, in the first time when when sin is taken over this earth we see God judging the earth with his justice because he must and and uh, with the flood we've seen all people destroyed except for Noah and his family and then this last time last week we've seen that God instead of destroying them through the flood as he promised he would never do again he instead scatters the people over the earth so that there might be still hope uh, we see that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you recall, if you've been studying with us, you'll, you'll know that uh, even on that first day that sin came into this world, God was still holding out hope. He was still holding out a promise. 
In Genesis 3, we see that he promised that one day from the seed of woman, there would be someone who would come and destroy the seed of the serpent. And, uh, and that has been uh, doubtful as we've been continuing through this story, right? If chapters 3 through 11, you're like, oh, well, maybe it's Noah. You know, Noah's the last one. Surely it's him, but it's not him. And then we have his three sons, and, and, and in the promise to his sons, we see that perhaps through Shem will be the one who will come. And that's where we're going to turn our focus this week. But we see that God is good. God is merciful. I, I love how we just already set up this morning. Uh, he is, his goodness and his mercy, uh, uh, mercies are new every morning. He, he still looks at this dark, wicked world of ours and says, I'm choosing to save wicked people out of this dark world. Just as he did with Abram. And that's what we're going to learn about this morning. And as we look at Abram, we're going to learn a lot about our own salvation. Because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the covenant-keeping God of Abram, and he's the covenant-keeping God. I pray for every one of us here this morning. Some of what I'm saying this morning, if you're not a believer, you're like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Well, I hope by the time we're done, you'll understand and that you will hear the call of God to your life, just as Abram did for his but before we get into it, let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the scriptures. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together this morning. And God, we would confess our need for your help this morning. God, our, our hearts are wicked. We, we have this tendency, even, Lord, being your children now, we still have this tendency to trust ourselves rather than trusting you. Lord, we still have this uh, desire to follow the passions of the flesh versus um, following uh, your commandments. And so, God, we would pray, Lord, for your help this morning. God, would you examine our hearts and, and minds today, and would you lead us in the way everlasting? God, for those here this morning who maybe know about you, but, Lord, they've never answered the call, that, Lord, they've never uh, put their faith in you, God, I pray today you would open their hearts and minds to see who you are Lord, that you would make them your own. And Lord, as we think about these things, Lord, I pray that by the time we're done, we couldn't help but praise you for who you are. God, you are so good. And so God, may that, may that be seen today as we study. May you receive the glory and honor that you're due. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we all need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Ushers be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. But we, we want to look at Genesis chapter 11 today. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through to chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, 11, chapter 11, verse 10 through chapter 12, verse 3. And as we talked about last week, we, we had started this table of nations, the, the, the how did we get from Noah to Abram, and, and we're going to see that today. Last week, we seen the, from Eber, there was this two sons, Joktan and Peleg. We looked at Joktan's line last week. This week, we will look at Peleg, and from Peleg, we get to Abram. So let's begin verse 10, chapter 11. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. 
And Shem lived after he fathered Aparksad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Aparksad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Aparksad lived after he had fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he had fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ruah. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ruah 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ruah had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarig. And Ruah lived after he fathered Sarig 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarah had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarah lived after he fathered Nahor, fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so we get to the fact that there is no longer this continual pattern of death. We're, we're going to see God calling Abram out of darkness. And in similar ways, God, what God does for Abraham, he does for all people. He calls them out of their darkness. I pray that again, this, this story would be your story this morning. This testimony of Abram would be your testimony that God has called you out of darkness. So how does God do this? How does God call us out of our wickedness? First, we see God calls us through his gracious providence. Through his gracious providence. As we studied last week, chapter 10, we're going to take this similar approach to chapter 11. We're going to kind of take this 30,000 foot approach to the passage and, and see what we can learn from this genealogy. Well, the aim of this genealogy is to get us from Shem to Abram, to show us how did we get to that point. Back in Genesis chapter 5, we've seen God taking us from Adam, uh, his son Seth, right through to Noah. And now we have a line from Noah and then his son Shem right through 
to Abram. We can trace our history back to that. Israel, who's receiving this in the wilderness, they are able to say, now we understand how we get to here, how we got to our point here, that, that God is the God over all of humanity. We didn't just come out of uh, nowhere. We have our lineage right back to Adam, as do all of us. Now, you may recall that, that, that through Noah, there had been this promise of the line of Shem. What, he, will, he will be something. He will rule. Canaan will be his servant, and Japheth would dwell in the tents of Shem. So, so as we think about that original promise of Genesis 3.15, it would seem then that it's going to come through Shem. So with every generation, there's this anticipation. Is this the one who will rule? Is this the one who would be the seed of woman who would crush the serpent? What will God do in spite of us? Right? I think that's what we've been learning. Not, not because we're good, not because we've done anything right, but because God is faithful, because God has a plan to save us, he will bring about this plan. Now, if you think about the Genesis 5 in that genealogy versus this genealogy, the genealogy in Genesis 5, eight times we're told, and he died. Now, the whole focus is like, see the effects of sin, See how it continually has an impact when, when, as a result of sin, there is the curse, and because of the curse, we die. All sinful people die, still same today. But in chapter 11, there's this focus on life. Not once is it mentioned, and they died. We just have this focus on life. Ross, Ross puts it like this. Genesis 11 stresses a movement away from death toward the promise and it stresses life and expansion. Life and expansion. So they go through, they tell us when they had the babies and then how long they lived after that. Now, did you see a little different than Genesis 5? Noah had children when? When he was 500. Shem gets going a lot earlier, 100 is when he starts having children. And then after that, everybody's like in their 30s, except for Nahor, he's 29. And then there's this other exception, Terah, the father of Abram, doesn't have children until he's 70. Which as we, if you've read Genesis, there's this whole thing that we see over and over again where it's, it's hard to have children. And, and even as we think about this, we're reminded of that original curse, right? That, that in pain, they will give childbirth. That it will be hard to have children. And, and so even, even in this mention of Sarai, there, there's this understanding that life is hard. There is a curse. We need God's blessing. Uh, the Tully dots, the generations of, that, that, that's markers throughout the book of Genesis, you get to Genesis chapter 11, and, and you see that there's two dots here, the generations of. So first we have the generations of Shem, but then, verse 27, we have the generations of Abram, of, sorry, of, of, of Terah, which leads us to Abram. So we're ending the, the primeval kind of generations. That, that is ending, and now we get into the patriarchal fathers, and so the, this is going on. Another thing that we see as we look at it, from Adam all the way to Abram, 21 generations. 
Super interesting. Uh, we've been talking about this a lot, but seven, the number of completeness, we see that over and over again. Uh, Eber, where we get the name Hebrew for Hebrews, he's the 14th from Ab- uh, Adam, sorry. Abram is the seventh from, from Eber. And then once again, we see that, again, this perfect plan of God. Just a couple of other things to note as we, as we look at this generally. The first genealogy in the end of chapter 5, we read that there were three sons, Noah being one of them. In this, again, we read that there are three sons, this time Abram being uh, mentioned first. Abram, as you kind of start breaking down all the numbers, and we will not have time to do all of that, but if you break all the numbers down, Abram was not the firstborn, and there's lots of good reasons to think that, uh, but, but he is first importance, uh, for, of first importance, and so he is uh, mentioned first. Hugh says this, Abram means this, he is exalted as to his father, as in noble birth, or more likely, the father is exalted. Later, his name will be changed to Abraham, which as Genesis 17, 5 explains, means father of many nations. So, we get to Terah. Terah, as I mentioned before, he's not... He's 70 years old by the time he has Abram, Nahor, and Haran. He too has problems having children. Not till 70 does he have a child. And so, you know, when, when Abram's going to get this call, he's 75. It's like, okay, you know, God's, God's making this promise. It's been a long time of barrenness, but, you know, I think initially there's, there's hope, and we, as we're going to go through the story of Genesis, as we, as we read chapter after chapter, we're going to see that's going to be a challenge to Abram's faith. But, but there, he's called when he's around, um, sorry, Abraham's called when he's around 75, and of course, they will not have children until he's 100. Now, these are the generations, verse 27, of Terah. Terah, Terah fathered Abraham, sorry, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. He gets mentioned, why? Because we're going to see a lot more of Lot, okay? Um, and, and not a good way, but he's going to be around. Verse 28, Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So one of the three sons dies. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. All right. Um, these guys like to keep it in the family. Okay? I mean, there's no other way to put it. Okay? Uh, we see who does, who does uh, Nahor marry? His niece, okay? He marries his niece. Abram marries his, what are we going to find out later? His half-sister, all right? So that's, that's who they marry. We find out that um, Sarai has no child. This is going to be forefront in these early days. How could it be that this one who has no child, who is barren, will be able to fulfill what God is saying? God's going to get the glory in all this. So it, it's front-ended. And we, we see that all this happens in Ur, right? Ur of the Chaldeans. And um, um, 
They've, they've been able, back in the 1920s, uh, or, uh, 1930s, they, they dug up this area and found out a whole lot about, um, especially the idolatry that was going on back then. But this is Ur. And then verse 31, we read that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together with Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, how is this family doing spiritually? Right, now, if you were with us last week, you would probably surmise that they're probably not doing well spiritually. Um, that's the story of everyone. But as we, as we kind of uh, look at the rest of the scriptures, we don't have to doubt where they're at spiritually. Uh, Joshua 24.2. I, I want to just encourage you, write these things down, these verses for yourself. Look them up later. But we're going to just, for the sake of time, I'm going to read it and just keep going. But Joshua 24.2 tells us how they were doing spiritually. It says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. What are they, what's going on when God calls Abram? They're serving other gods. They're serving other gods. They were not serving Yahweh, the God who had saved their their family line, right? The generations before, going back to Shem, who, is, who was on the boat, right? Ten generations earlier, he was on the boat, but they are not following that God. They're like everybody else in the world. Even though God had scattered them, they continued to cling to their gods, continued to cling to their evil ways, and, and, and they're not following after Yahweh. Hughes here is helpful to just kind of help us to understand, well, who were they worshiping? At this time, he says, Terah's tiny inbred family were moon worshipers, residing in the leading center of lunar religion. The city was dominated by a massive three-stage ziggurat built by Ur-Namu during the beginning of the second millennial BC. Each stage was colored distinctly with a top level bearing the silver one-room shrine to Nana, the moon god. The royal cemetery reveals that ritual burials were sealed with the horrors of human sacrifice. So as we often see in these religions and back in that time, associated with the worship of this moon god would be human sacrifice. This is the religion, this is the faith that Abram had. This is the, the family that he was a part of. They were not a family who was seeking God. They were not a family set apart for God. They were polytheistic idolaters. Just a little bit more to just kind of add proof to that, and not that we need it since the scriptures have already told us. Terah's name is related to the word uh, Yaria, which means moon, and Yara, lunar month. Sarai is the equivalent of the Akkadian Saratu, queen, and was the name of the wife of the moon god Sin. Milka is the same as the goddess Melkatu, a title of Ishtar, daughter of the moon god. So they're naming their family 
after these religious figures of the religion that they were following. So, how did everything change? God called Abram, and everything changed. Joshua 24, 3, Lord speaking, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. Right, like that's verse 2, and he, they were following other gods. Verse 3, and I took Abraham, your father, from beyond the river. That's, that's what we're told. God called him. He called him to follow, and Abraham obeyed him. We like Abraham, right? There's a couple of times we're like, yeah, you probably could have done that better, okay? But, but for the most part, there's a whole lot of positive things said about Abraham. Even when we were studying the book of Romans, we're like, be like Abraham. How did Abraham come, come to the Lord? By faith. But I want, to, I want us to just stop and realize who the true hero of the story is. It is not Abram, it is God. It is God who is merciful, who looks down on humanity and sees these moon worshipers and says, Abram, you will follow me. And he gives him faith to follow him. We don't know how, we don't know did he show up in a vision? Like, how did it all happen? We have no idea. We are just simply told he called him and Abram followed. The effectual call of God. This is what is on display here. The Lord is the one who gets all the glory. Uh, Nehemiah 9, 6 through 8. Again, just write this down. Nehemiah 9, 6 through 8. This is what Nehemiah writes. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. God gets the glory. God gets the glory for every salvation story. Every testimony, he gets the glory. Because what he did to Abraham, he does to all of us. He calls us out of darkness. There's none of us who are like, oh, I was doing really well. Like I was seeking after him. You know, I had, I had a, you know, this, I, was, I, was, I was not wicked in any way. I was just really a good person. And like nobody's, that's nobody's story here. Like, well, that seems harsh, Pastor. You don't even know me. I, 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 just, I just follow the scriptures. It says that no one does good, not even one. But God is merciful. God is gracious. God is the one who saves us. And so he looks at Abram and he calls him out of his gross idolatry, worshiping the moon god. Maybe even have been a part of those human sacrifices in some way. But God saves him and he, he, he calls him to follow him and obey him. Now, what is interesting, and this was new for me this week, We'll see if it's new for you. But the Bible is clear that the call 
comes in Ur of the Chaldeans. The call to Abram happens there. Not in Haran, but in Ur. Acts chapter 7, 2 to 4. Acts chapter 7, 2 to 4. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Do we catch that? Before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. The call happened while he's in Ur. And it would seem, as we kind of try to piece it all together based on what we read in Genesis and the rest of the scriptures, that he talks to his father, Terah, and says, this is what God has called me to do. He's called me to leave and, and, to, and, to, and to follow him. And it would seem that Terah, at least for a short time, is convinced that this is a good thing to do. And so we, we read in the Genesis account that Terah and Abram and Sarai and Lot, who is an orphan, right? His dad is dead, so they're taking responsibility for him. They come together and they get as far as Haran, but that's it. And they settle there. Remember that word settle last week? And they settled in Babel. That, that was not a good thing to do. The settling, once again, not a good thing to do. They're not, they're not walking in obedience to what God has called them to do. But they get to Haran. Guess what? Haran's another major center for the moon god. And so Terah, for a, for a moment, is happy to move. They move 885 kilometers from Ur. That's how far they went. But then they stop in this place called Haran. So, he's faithful, but he's new in his faith, is what we see early on. But God will get him to where he needs to get to. Walkie puts this, with each step, God's guiding hand will be evident, since even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What an awesome God. Can you not just, like, just praise him this morning for all that he has done? How he calls sinners out of darkness, turns them away from their false, powerless gods, and turns them to the one true God? The calling of Abram mirrors every salvation story in history. The, the, maybe the lies that we all believe are different, the false gods that maybe we were following were different, the sins that maybe we clung to were different, but every, everyone's story is the same. That was what we were chasing after, after darkness, and then God called you out of the darkness and said, follow me, follow me. He is the hero of every story. It's important that we recognize this. If not, what happens? Oh, I'm such a good person. Can't believe all those sinners. This week, oh, look at all those sinners sinning. I can't believe them, you know. But I'm a Christian. 
I, I, you know, I've always, I think I've always really believed. I think I'm always, always really just understood the things that are good. We, 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 get, we get so prideful if we don't recognize, listen, you, you, you would have rejected and, and spit in God's face just as they did to Christ if you were given the opportunity. That's who we all are. But God, in his grace, took you out of that. That's what he did. As dramatic as Abram's story is, is your story. God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has taken each one of you, I pray, out of darkness and into his light. Our response ought to be praise to him and declare praise to a lost and dying world. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what we get to do now. We get that, that's your story. Everyone, again, you might have a little bit of how you tell your story is a little bit different, but your main theme is this. I once lived in darkness and God has called me into his marvelous light. I pray that that's everyone's testimony here this morning. God is faithful. God is faithful to save. He gets the glory. He gets the honor just as he did in Abram's story. How does God call us out of our wickedness? God calls us to be his holy people. In his gracious providence, he calls you in his timing, in his way, right? The timing, Peleg was like five generations before Abram, right? God didn't quickly change the story after he scattered the people all over the earth, five more generations, and everybody's timing is different, but God in his providence calls his people. And as he calls his people, he calls them to be godly. We see in verse one of chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Again, based on what, as I put everything together this week, I believe this is the second time that he is being called. He is in Haran now. We see in the other text he would, had initially been called in Ur of the Chaldeans, and now he's being called again. Isn't God gracious? Isn't he faithful? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't change the plan, though, right? He's called now to, to go from his country and his kindred and his father's house to the land that he will show you. I want to just, just stop for a second, though, just to think about Terah one more time. Terah was, it would seem, trying to live off of Abram's faith. Does that work? Does it ever work, living off of someone else's faith? We can't. Every single person must answer the personal call of God in their lives. Every single person must be born again, is how, as, as Jesus put it. 
We can't live by someone else's faith. And so Terah, as he's trying to live off of Abram's faith, it lasted a pretty short time, right? They, they made the trip, got to Haran, and he was like, I'm just going to stay here. I think this was safer, safer here. There's the moon god still here. We can worship him. I'm not going any further. He got stuck in his ways. But now Abram, God's call on his life, he, he's called to follow him. Spurgeon puts it like this, nothing but a direct, distinct, personal call coming home to the heart and conscience will be of any avail. Every one of us need that distinct call in our lives to follow him. And again, I pray that everyone has had that call. What is it that God calls Abram to do as he calls him out of Haran? Well, he's called to leave his country, his people, and his father's house. And called to go to the land that God will show him. This call that God is making on Abram involves great cost and requires great faith. God has not lowered the expectations for Abram, right? He's like, hey, it seems like you're, you're having trouble following me. It seems like, you know, remember I called you in Ur and then you got to Haran and then you stopped? Let's just, can you just do one thing for me? No, he doesn't, right? He doesn't change the rules, doesn't change the, the level of expectation. He's telling him now, I need you to leave. He tells him to leave his country. I know some of you have done that. Looking around, I, I, I know some of you, you were born in a different country, in a different nation, and, and, and you left that to come to Canada. Is that easy? Is that easy to do? To leave everything you've ever known and come to a new country? Even in 2023, that is not easy. You have to leave all your comforts, everything that you're used to. I, I mean, I've spent the longest chunk of time I spent overseas is seven months, but I was like, I'm ready to get back to Canada, right? Because I know how life's supposed to work back there. I'm not really sure how it's supposed to work here. I kind of feel out of, out of place, and so I'd rather just get back. And, and God's calling Abram, I want you to leave your country. How old is he? Well, about 75 years old. We're going to read next week in verse 4. 75 years old. You think maybe you get set in your ways by the age of 75? How many of you, if you were 40, would say, sure, God, you want us to pack up everything we have and move to a different country? No problem. I mean, I, I've spent most of my life challenging young people. That's been my thing. But maybe, maybe we need to be challenged. Old people? Old people here? Maybe some of us need to be challenged by Abram's faith here. That he was, he was willing to get rid of all his comforts to follow after what God had called him to do. God, this is what you're calling me to do. I'm not going to make excuses I mean, he had means by this time. He had, a, you know, he, 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 he had a, a set way of life, but he leaves because God has called him to. As you get older and set in your ways, don't be set in your ways when it comes to God's calling on your life. You continually be a man or woman of faith even when you're 50, even when you're 60, even when you're 70, you wake up. This is, what, this is why we're still alive, right? I mean, how boring is life when it's up to your control? Well, you know, maybe I'll go down to the coffee shop this morning and go grab a couple of groceries and we'll call her a day. 
okay, you could live like that, but, but why not live for the Lord and see what he has for you each day? This is what God calls of us. And so he says, I want you to leave your country. And then he says, I want you to, to leave your family. I want you to leave your people. I, I'm calling you to, to leave all of them. And uh, does he do that? Well, yeah, a lot still coming with, right? And, and did, did that, that wasn't great, right? Full faith would have said, hey, Lot, you're old enough now. Good luck, buddy. Um, if, you, if you want, your uncle's back, back in Ur right now. Maybe you can catch up with him, okay? That, but he doesn't leave him. He brings him with. And we could, humanly speaking, I mean, there's lots of reasons as to why maybe he did that. His family's pretty tight-knit, right? I think we've seen that already, All right? Pretty tight-knit. Even, even when it comes to Nahor, Nahor is named after Grandpa, right? Like, there's just, there's just a really tight family here. And so to say, leave your family, was a very big deal for Abram. But yet, that's what God calls him to do. Why? Why does he do that? Boy says this, why did God call him to leave his people? It was not that God was being harsh, demanding sacrifice of Abram simply for the sake of demanding sacrifice. Abram's departure was necessary for his spiritual growth. His environment was not conducive to that growth. His family would not help him in the pilgrimage. Therefore, he was to leave his country, his people, and his father's household. God calls us to leave everything behind because he knows if we don't, it will be detrimental to us, spiritually speaking. We will not grow in faith as we ought to if we're clinging to the past, if we're clinging to the old relationships. Jesus, in challenging his disciples, he says this, Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We, we cannot hang on to our old ways. When God causes you to be born again, you must make a break from the past, back, a break from your old uh, passions, old relationships. God must be first. Christ must be first in your life. Everything else must be subservient to that. Are you living that way today? See, when you come to faith in Christ, especially if you're older, 14 on, you know, whatever, your friends are going to be used to you doing what you used to do, right? What, what do you mean you don't like doing that anymore? What, what do you mean you don't find that fun anymore? Like, I, I don't understand. And they're going to pressure you. Or they're, going to, they're going to try to get you to go back to the old ways. And what God calls us to do is to be separate from the world. If you cannot be around those people and feeling pressure to go back to the old way, then you must separate from them. You want to, you, you want you get strong in the Lord. You want to go back to them and, 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 and proclaim Christ to them and hope in him. Then that's great. But you cannot have the same kind of relationship that you had before. 
You are no longer like this. You must be separate from them in the way that you live. God calls you to be holy, to be set apart. How many people have compromised their faith based on old relationships or even the new relationships that they form with, with people uh, who aren't, aren't, aren't of faith? Boyfriends, girlfriends, causing you to, to stumble in your faith because they do not have the faith that you have. The passage that Christ challenged us with, he says, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How many parents have shipwrecked their faith because little Johnny or Sarah isn't following the Lord and, and, and doing what God calls them to do? So I guess, you know, rather than having awkward family dinners, we'll just say, hey, what you're doing is totally okay. We're, we're, we're fine with it. We love you. So you just do what you're doing. And, and what happens? They shipwreck their own faith and they prevent their children from coming to faith. And God wants us to stand true to him, to be set apart. And so just as he called Abram to be separate from his family, he calls you and I to be separate from the things of this world. The Lord knows what we need if we're to grow in faith. Let us not think we're strong enough. We, oh, I can do it. No, you can't do it. You, you have to have the body of believers around you. You must be a person of prayer if you would stand strong in him. And then he says, I want you to go to the place that I will show you. I mean, it's tough enough to say, hey, I want you to move to 199 Creole Street in Elgin, Illinois, right? I'd be like, okay, that's a lot. That's a... Okay, but we'll do it. Go to the land that I will show you. What, what, what's, what's, what's God doing here? Trust me. I want your wholehearted trust. I want your focus off of everything you once known, and I want your focus fully upon me, for it is in that that you will grow in your faith. Calvin comments, I command you to go forth with closed eyes. This is how he interpreted it. And forbid you to inquire where I'm about to lead you until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. This is what God requires of his followers. Full devotion. Wholehearted devotion. This morning, are you wholehearted in your devotion to the Lord? Do you, do you have one foot with the world and one foot with God? It does not work. It never will. In Revelation, we, we see that it's called lukewarmness. And, and God says, I will spit you out of my mouth. So God says, I want you all in when you follow me. You have to count the cost if you're to follow Christ. Maybe this morning you've never committed to follow Christ. And your heart's being stirred this morning. I want you to hear there is a cost to follow him. And just as he did with Abraham, he does with us. He says, I want you to follow you. Where am I gonna go? What, what will my life look like? Just follow me, just trust me. But will, I, will, will everything work out for me? Will, will, I, will I have what I want? You will never know. Just follow me. I love how Hughes puts it like this. Jesus does not say that it will be smooth here on earth. He does not say that your problems will be solved, nor does he promise a life of peace and ease. If you're looking for these kinds of upfront promises before turning to Christ, you will never get them. And if you persist in your requirements, you will never come to Christ. He calls you to trust his word alone. 
Trust his word alone. When he says, follow me, then you follow. You, you do, do so. Why? Because you see him. There's a, lot, a lot of people call it irresistible grace. When, when you come to faith, it's called irresistible grace. Why? Because you can't resist him when you see him for who he really is. When you see God in all his glory, how could you, how could you follow this world anymore? Everything else pales in comparison to him. And so you're like, yes, Lord, I'm following you and I'm leaving it all behind. And may that be our resolve of all of our hearts here this morning. If it was not so before you came to service, may it be so now. So how does this all work out through faith? Which brings us to our last point. How does God call us out of our wickedness? God calls us to believe his glorious promises. God calls us to believe his glorious promises. We're going to just touch on this, this this week because we're going to get to what does faith look like more next week. But as we do, I want us to see verse 2, there's these personal promises that he's given. Verse 3, there's these global promises that are given through Abram. Again, the focus is God. Seven promises given by him. Not because Abraham deserves it, but because God chose it to be so. Five, uh, four times it says, I will, I will. God is the one who is over it all. And he says in verse two, I will make you of a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing this, this man and his wife, 75 he is, his wife younger, but 65, but she is barren. She has no child. And he says that he will bless them. Bless them. Five times in verses one through three, blessing is mentioned. The same amount of chapters one through 11. Right? Interesting. One through 11, Blessings mentioned five times in these three verses alone. God mentions he will bless. He is the one over it. Horse says this, blessing brings the power for life, the enhancement of life, and the increase of life. This is what he tells him he will do. He will make his, not only will he be a great nation, but his name will be great. His name will be great in, in number, but also in significance. As we trace the line of Abram, it says that kings will come from him. And of course, we know that the king of kings comes from Abram's line. His name will be great and has been made great. Interesting again, thinking about last week, what did the people of Babel want to do? Let's make a name for ourselves. How long did that last? Well, the name they got was what? Confusion. That's their name. But when God blesses, when, when God gives a name, then we truly have a name. I know that all of us one day will hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from our God. And so he's told that he will have a great name. He will be, uh, be made a great nation and he will be a blessing. And then as a result of that, he, he will be a blessing to those around him. That's the transition to the next verse. Abraham, Abraham believed that the Lord was faithful to his promises. And although he did not know how all this was going to work, right? He has a wife who is bearing, doesn't understand how it's all going to work. It's going to be a challenge to him. He believes. Hugh says this, God's promise that Abraham would become a great nation assaulted reality. 
Because Abram was childless and Sarah was barren, a painful reality in antiquity, sorry, and double painful in the throwaway world of Ur. Abram was asked to believe in the dark and more. Abram was promised that he would not merely become a great people, but a great nation. But that wasn't it. Verse 3, and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's hope, right? I mean, what have we seen over and over and over again? All the families of the earth are cursed. They, they, they keep just chasing after sin. Yet through this one, through Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What a hope for a world that had continually plunged itself into darkness. In Abram's life, as, as this plays out, we'll see those who bless Abram are blessed. Those who curse Abram are cursed. This will be, we'll see that in his lifetime and it goes on from there. Because in rejecting Abram, the people were rejecting God, his choice and his plan. And in so doing, separating themselves from God's plan to bless the world. The blessing would come through Abram. Of course, we know that ultimately that blessing came through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9. Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that, the gospel is being preached right here, Genesis 12. Isn't that awesome? Way back then, through Abram, through the plan that I have, isn't it God amazing? Through the plan that I have, 2,000, over 2,000 years before Christ, this is the plan. And 2,000 years later, we are in Christ today. We have fellowship with God through faith, just as Abram had faith. He doesn't have faith in faith. He has faith in God. Hebrews 11 once says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hugh says this, Biblical faith possesses a future certainty, the assurance of things hoped for, coupled with a visual certainty, the convictions of things not seen. Thus, faith produces a dynamic certainty that gives the reality of actual existence to the things we hope. What does that mean? I live as if it was in my present reality. That's how convinced I am of it. Because I know the God who's promised it. Think of all the promises given to you and I. I mean, Genesis 12, I mean, that's some pretty amazing promises given to Abram. But think about the promises given to you in Christ through the new covenant. All of these are sure for you and I because we are in Christ today. Not because of our faith and faith, but because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what biblical faith is. This is what Abraham believed and lived accordingly. That's what we're going to see, up, see next week. His faith made a difference. Is your faith making a difference today? How does God call us out of our weakness? Well, praise the Lord. His gracious providence saves sinners like you and I. No matter what you've done, if you answer the call this morning to follow him, you will be saved.
Praise the Lord for the privilege of being called his people. By his grace, may we, have, we, may, may we live lives that are set apart from this wicked world. If your faith has been weak, if you've been wandering, today is the day of repentance. Turn back to him and follow him wholeheartedly. And then lastly, praise the Lord for his promises that give us strength today and bright hope for tomorrow. Cling to them for they are sure, more sure than anything that this world offers. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. God, you're good. You're so good. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you are still a God who calls us out of darkness. Lord, truly, there's nothing in us that we would deserve it. But God, you are merciful. You are compassionate. And even this morning, you are calling people to be your own. All around this world today, people are having the story of Abram. They're being called out of darkness. And I pray this morning, if there be anyone here today who has never repented of their sins and placed their hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, that today would be the day, God, that they would turn from their sin, turn from their darkness, and place their hope and trust in you. Lord, for those of us who are your children, Lord, help us to live lives set apart. Lord, help us to proclaim the excellencies of you as we leave this place. To, to Lord, to tell the world of how you've called us out of darkness and into, marvelous, into your marvelous light, that they too might be saved in the same way. God, we love you. We praise you this morning. Lord, would you be glorified through our lives in the week to come, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.